And I was worried. I said, what am I going to say to go up there and have them be quiet? <laughs> so hi, everybody. I'm Nancy, and I am a compulsive overeater. And now I get to look out at you sitting over the dinner table. That's a wonderful sight. It's such a great meal we just had. Uh, thank you all for being here. And uh, without further ado, we're going to have our speakers for the evening. Our first speaker comes, from us, comes to us from Southern California. He spent seven hours driving to get here. And um, I heard, I, was, I knew I wanted to have somebody from Southern California, and I don't get down there much. I don't have a, a, a community that I can tap into to knowing, and so I called a few people, and they said, listen to the kitchen sink, listen to, I don't even know the podcast, but listen to this whatever, others, and so I, I just started listening, and I, this, this fellow just jumped out, jumped, jumped out of the podcast at me, <laughs> and so without further ado, let's welcome David to the stage. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Is this the microphone? Yes. So do I? Can you all hear me? No. Can you all hear me? Hello. Okay. Hi, I'm David. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, first of all, it took me seven hours because I stopped four times, and I needed to find the perfect lunch spot. Um, but thank you, uh, Region 2 Committee. It's an honor to be here. And uh, my friend Kaylee just moved from L.A. to around here, and she was reminding me that um, in my share I once said that I didn't speak for my first seven years of life. And um, they used to call me mute boy in school. Um, they used to test me for being mentally challenged. They didn't know what was wrong with me. So to be up here speaking in front of people and really having the fear of people um, removed from me is an absolute blessing of this program. Um, it really is. You know, so I'll talk a little bit about what it was like, but I have the journal entry um, from the day before I got abstinent, um, which was six years ago. It says 3.20 p.m., another binge today, another wasted day. Bag of dried mangoes, 540 calories. Bag of banana chips, 2,400 calories. Bag of freeze-dried bananas, 540 calories. Bag of freeze-dried pineapples, 520 calories. Bag of dried pineapple rings, 720 calories. One entire jar of almond butter, 2,660 calories. Total, 7,380 calories. I'm lonely as F-U-C-K, probably because I hate myself. I'm sitting at the Santa Monica Pier watching everyone around me laugh and smile. Why is everyone happy except for me? Why can't I be normal? Why do I have to eat 7,000 calories in a sitting? I hate myself. I pray that one day my food will be moderate and clean. I think I want to run the marathon. I think it would be good for me to set a goal and reach it. I need help. I am so tired of living. I am so tired of being alone. And, um, you know, the funny thing is I don't even like dried fruit. And it's like, 
shows what a compulsive overeater is. Like, I can't stop eating it, um, even though I don't even like eating it. And, um, you know, when I came into OA, I was not a people person. I didn't have real relationships. I hadn't spoken to my dad in 10 years. I had never had a real girlfriend. And um, I knew numbers. Like, I, there's calculations all over this chart. I knew how many calories were in an almond butter container. I knew how many calories were in a box of pizza. Like, I knew calories. I knew numbers. I knew how to get rid of it. Um, but I didn't know how to form a true partnership with another human being, like it says in the big book. I really didn't. And, you know, seven years later, to have a girlfriend and to have amazing relationships in my life and real people who I show up for, and sponsees who name their children after me, and, you know, to have a girlfriend who I'm talking about, like, engagement with, like, these are all miracles of the program. Like, I came into OA hopeless, like, at a bottom, um, 20 years old, I'm 28 now, like, I did not have tools for living. Um, and, you know, they say if you have one parent who's a compulsive overeater or an addict, we'll, you know, you have a 50% chance of getting here. But if you have two parents, we'll save you a seat. Um, so my seat was saved. I, um, I grew up in Long Island in a town called Cold Spring Harbor where everything, you know, they've written books about it. It's like the perfect, idyllic, everything is perfect on the outside town. Um, we had a house on the water. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a therapist. People in town knew my dad. We'd walk down the street, and people would be like, hey, Dr. G. And, you know, it was like this weird living because inside of our house, there was abuse, there was alcoholism, there was drug addiction, there were affairs. And um, my dad was really a rager, like a rageaholic, alcoholic. Um, so I'm going to get dark for a second, but I'll wrap it all around and I'll end positive. So, um, you know, he used to chase me and my sister through the house. And the first memory I have of childhood, I was like five years old. And my sister was seven. And he grabbed her and threw her up against the wall and was like grabbing her by her chins, calling her a fat pig. And I like jumped on his back as like the Captain Child Alanon, like trying to pry him off, you know, my sister. And he threw me up against the wall. And I remember looking across the hallway at my mom, who was standing in the doorway. And she, like, went into her room and locked the door. And um, that's really my first seven years of life. Like, that's what it was like. Like, really war zone, running around, chasing, trying to be the referee, trying to make everything perfect. Like, living with a, an OCD, alcoholic, rageaholic father, like, trying to make sure everything was okay, hypersensitive, always on my, like, muscle, trying to feel okay. But then, like, I didn't have love. Like, where was my tucking me in at night? You know, where was my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Where was my mom telling me she loved me, you know? And I'm, I'm not up here to blame anything on my parents, but it does say in the literature that we have these basic instincts for a purpose, you know, instincts for sex and for security and to be a member of society. And, ad, as, you know, they're God-given, so they're good. But as addicts, we far exceed the natural purpose of these instincts, and then our greatest natural assets turn into our liabilities. And for me, it was my instinct for security, like that childhood 
instinct for mothering and love and like a safe home. Um, I just didn't get it. And, you know, I had a best friend and my mom would go on vision quests and I'd stay at his house for weeks at a time and we'd have a calendar in his room like trying to get the record. Maybe this time we can get four weeks. And um, I never felt a home. I never felt like a f- I have a family or a belonging. And um, when I was seven, and, you know, if you're growing up like that, if your house is like that, when you go to school on Monday, you're not going to know how to raise your hand when you have something to say in the classroom. You know, already I was so scared of rejection. You're not going to know how to go up the, to the kid on the playground and ask him if he wants to be my friend. Like, people would ask me if they could come over after school, and I would have to lie to them about why they couldn't come over. You know, so already, way before I ever picked up food, I was a food addict. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a manipulator. I was so scared of people. And I had a mind that completely told me that I was the problem, that I was at fault, that this is because of me, that I deserve this. And, um, you know, even as a five-year-old, I remember standing at my grandfather's balcony in Florida thinking, if I jump, all my problems are going to be over. But then my next thought was, but who's going to show up at my funeral? And, like, as a five-year-old, it, like, kills me to think. You know, I babysit sometimes with my girlfriend um, just because she has, like, the, she wants to be a mom, and I'm getting the hint. But... <laughs> So we, like, go to her friend's house, and just to think that, like, a kid would be thinking about suicide and homicide and, like, it just kills me. It kills me to think that that was me back then. And um, just to wrap up this family thing, I crawled into bed with my mom when I was seven years old, and my dad was, like, raging through the house. And I said, Mom, we got to go. And she said, I know. And I said, we got to go tonight. And we packed our stuff at 3 in the morning the next day, and we moved across Long Island, and we ran, you know. And my mom said, you're the man of the house now. And um, I'm the man of the house now. I don't even know how to tie my shoe without, like, being scared that my dad's going to, like, hurt me. Like, I don't know how to be the man of the house now. I don't even know how to talk in a classroom. Um, so it, we got away from, like, the prison of being with my father, but I still had this fear that he was going to, like, come and take us and hurt us. And I had this hatred towards my mom for not protecting us. And now she's a single mom. And now I'm, like, a latchkey kid. And, you know, I would come home from school, and I would start eating. And um, that's when it started when I was seven years old. I used to think my dad was going to, like, come and take us. And I'd get off the school bus and like run down my long driveway and what started with a pint of ice cream um, within like a year or two years I'm 60 pounds overweight I'm the fat kid in school I'm the new kid fat kid weird kid Um, and if anyone was the fat kid I'm sure a lot of us were growing up like it's a whole nother set of trauma like growing up as the fat kid and like going to school and just getting made fun of. Like, I have enough problems at home going to school and just having, like, your assassins. Like, it was really, I had, like, the people who would come, and whenever they saw me, like, they had names for me. And, you know, I remember once I got back from Christmas break, and people were singing this Baby Beluga song to me. And I was like, what is a Baby Beluga? And I went to the library after school, and I asked the librarian, and she gave me a children's book, 
And I opened up a page, and it said something like baby belugas or miniature whales that get up to 3,500 tons of blubber. And it just killed me. And I remember going home and eating over it, like eating over the shame that people were making fun of me and eating over the shame that I couldn't stop eating over it and just eating over the loneliness. Like it says in the literature, we're just tortured by loneliness. I used to pound my like hand into the pillow at night just being like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And um, my sister also suffered from this disease or suffers from this disease. And we, have, we had connecting rooms growing up. And I used to hear her throwing up at night and like putting it in a plastic bag and taking it outside. And um, she lost the 60 pounds that she put on really quickly. And I went into her room one day when I was like 13 years old, and I found her diet pills. And um, we talk about a progressive illness here. What started with one slim fast diet pill when I was 13 years old, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was 30 pounds underweight. I was a three-sport athlete. I was taking 15 pills of hydroxycut every day before like the FDA got involved. So I was having like mini panic attacks every night, um, and my heart was just pounding. And I would have to drink Nyquil to sleep. And um, really, like I shouldn't be here. Um, have an extra cup of coffee, you know, during my day, and like that's too much for me today. I don't know how as a 16 or a 17 or as a seven-year-old, I got through what I got through. Um, but that shows me that there was a higher power with me all along. And, you know, so I'm in this new private school um, as a high school senior, and I'm a three-sport athlete, and I'm 30 pounds underweight, and, like, people are giving me attention, and I like it. And, like, my mind switches, and it becomes all about if I gain the weight back, they're not going to like me. So I have to go to any lengths to keep it off. And that progressed and progressed and progressed. And it also came like, they only like me because I'm skinny. So really, F you to everybody. So like, I'm going to push away any intimacy. I'm not letting anybody in. You know, Don't even come near me. And that continued through college. I went to five different colleges in four years. And... Um, I ended up at like a complete bottom my senior year of college, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I, I was suicidal. I hadn't talked to my dad in years. Um, I had no friends. I was failing out of college. I had no like future, and um, I, I made up the, my mind in my head that I was gonna end it. But first, I wanted to have one last binge. So I went back to my mom's house in Long Island, and it was like December. It was December. And I'm, like, binging through her house like a mad scientist, like things in the oven and the eating out of the freezer, um, eating things, like, from the, throwing it out and then eating it from the garbage, and, like, going into my mom's, like, room and eating her women's chocolate vitamins. Like, I ate everything. <laughs> eating leftover Halloween candy from October. Like, I literally just tore through the house. And as I'm tearing through the house, this is no joke, an OA 12 and 12 falls out of the pantry that I'm binging in. Like, literally, I'm in, you know, I'm in my binge mentality, which is like, I'm pregnant, and I'm one-minded, which is like, don't even try to come near me. 
I'm an animal. And in that mindset, something gave me the power to like bend over and pick up the book. And um, I like walked the book into my room and I opened it up. And on the first page I read, it says something like, we of Overeaters Anonymous have found in this fellowship a way to recover from the disease of compulsive overeating. And like, I'm, I was 20 years old and for 20 years, I thought I was the only person on the planet who suffered from this thing. And I thought I was alone my whole life. So like to hear that this is a disease was like huge for me. To hear that there's a fellowship was huge for me. And to hear that people are recovering was like huge for me. I had hope for the first time in my whole life. And um, I went to a meeting like the next week and I went to meetings almost every day for two years straight. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't get abstinent. And um, I was looking for the perfect sponsor. I was looking, I was doing like, I, and a godshot moved me out to LA, like the perfect geographic. And I got into grad school here, which is like, I was failing out of college. I shouldn't have got into grad school at UCLA. Um, <laughs> but my roommate from college was like the son of a very famous person who like got me into UCLA, which got me to LA which got me to L.A. recovery, which, you know, I had to, I, I was failing out of college, and now I'm in the hardest program in the world for what I did. Um, so I'm like, I have to get abstinent. This is my chance. And I did, like, the sponsor cyber dating thing where I, like, was looking for the perfect, he needs to be Jewish, straight, in a relationship, drives a nice car in the entertainment industry. <laughs> like that, you know, they say, find a sponsor who has what you want. <laughs> and um, what I've learned is like, is find a sponsor who you can be honest with. And the sponsor that I got was um, an African-American lesbian who was from Georgia who didn't drive a car, who took the bus to meet me every week as we went through the 12 steps together. And she's not in program anymore, but she saved my life. And um, I don't know where she came from that she would every week get on the bus and meet with me as we went through the 12 steps. We had nothing in common, but I knew I could be honest with her. And it, it, it's like, it's still baffling to me. So today when people ask me to sponsor them, it's like, if you're willing to do the work, I'll go to any lengths to help you. But like, you have to meet me there. And I was willing to go to any lengths and she was willing to go to any lengths to meet me there. So the first week that we started, um, step one, I got abstinent, which is another like miracle. Um, I got abstinent and I got abstinent, but the food obsession wasn't lifted for me. Um, and the mental obsession wasn't lifted for me. And the self-obsession and the body obsession, like, that takes time. It's really hard in the beginning. Um, it's a lot of, like, I just have to hold on and trust what other people are telling me that it's going to get lifted. But it, for me, I know some people get it, woof, 
white light for me i had to white knuckle you know people used to tell me you're a baby and they're taking away your pacifier like i didn't have anything without flour and sugar so i had to white knuckle and hold on and go through the steps and um it really started with step one like i'm powerless over food it's really easy for me to admit that i'm a compulsive overeater that when i put certain foods inside my body i turn into an alcoholic with them that I have, a, I have a physical allergy. But for me, it's like, if I'm allergic to grapes and a doctor tells me you're gonna die if you eat grapes, I'm just not gonna eat the grapes if I'm a normal person. But as a compulsive overeater, I have a mind that tells me, no doctor, the grapes are actually gonna make me feel better. And this time is gonna be different. And this time I can just have one. And that's what it does for me with my alcoholic foods. It used to tell me, you can have it. You can have just one. Like, this time is going to be different. And time and time and time again, I would f- get right back into, like, how did I get here? Monday would come around. How did I spend another weekend binging, you know, on Facebook, looking at what everybody else is doing with their amazing lives? Whew, that's another addiction. But I thank God. <laughs> like, I don't have, I don't, I can't Facebook today. I'll get into that later, but like, so step one for me, I'm powerless over food with my, with my craving. When I put food inside my body, certain foods, I can't stop eating it. Dash, my life is unmanageable. For me, that's talking about my thought life, my mind. My mind is unmanageable. I have a mind that talks to me and narrates my life all day long. I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm worthless, I don't deserve it. Have another bite, you need another bite, you're not safe, go to the food. And I was listening to my mind. And that is what was driving me insane. I was listening to a mind that was lying to me. And it's not just about the food. Like, when people used to say that, I was like, for me it is. It's just about the food. If I can just get abstinent, I can get through college, and then I can get the girlfriend, and then I can get the thing, the fill in the blank, and then I'll be okay, so I can leave away. But like, the more I stay here, it's really not about the food. It's about this mental obsession that tells me to go to the food. And if my mind is lying to me about the food, it's lying to me about, it's not picking and choosing. My mind lies to me about every area of my life. Today, with coming up on six years abstinent, I still have a mind that tells me to get out of my relationship or that I shouldn't, you know, I was thinking about every possible way to not speak tonight. Um, But that's what, you know, I've learned to not listen to my thoughts anymore. But I can't do it. It's not a self-improvement program. I need a higher power to redirect my thinking. And that gets me into step two, which is I have to come to believe that a power greater than me is going to restore me to sanity. And if I don't believe that I'm insane, I'm not going to believe in a higher power. I had to really look at my thoughts and be like, whoa, the homeless guy in Skid Row who's talking to himself, I'm not that much different from him. I'm talking to myself all day long. I'm just wearing a blazer, and I'm not doing it out loud. But I'm doing it. I'm talking to myself. I'm judging other people. You cut me off in traffic. I have a story for you, you know, or like at Starbucks, they're not checking me out fast enough. And, you know, I, my mind, or, you know, at Trader Joe's at the express line, like, why aren't they just 
what's taking so long? I'm the manager. Everywhere I go, I'm the manager. I'm the manager of the 405. I was the manager of dinner tonight. I was the manager of, like, why isn't there more water on my thing? You know, I'm the, everywhere I go, there's a problem. And I, things are happening to me. And I need a higher power to get that perspective to, oh, everything is happening for me. Everything is a gift. Everything in this moment is exactly as it's supposed to be. I just have to stop fighting. I just have to get out of my mind so I can be present. You know, so I'm insane. I really am. I'm insane. I'm mentally ill. It says in the literature, it's easy for us to admit that we're problem compulsive overeaters. It's a little more difficult for us to admit that we're mentally ill. And I am. I watch my thoughts and I see that I'm mentally ill which propels me into a step two, and I talk to this power who I don't believe in all, all the time, some of the time, half the time, I still talk to it. And when I talk to it, I get relief. And I say, power, can you protect me from my mind? Did you hear that thought? Can you change my thinking? Can you help me be here right now? Oh my God, I'm judging everybody. Can you help me take away this judgmental thought? I'm scared. Like, and this is how I've learned to talk to this power. Like with my heart, with the language of my heart, I talk and I pray and I plead. And I wasn't a God person when I came in here. Like I was like a, don't tell me there's a God unless you have the childhood that I had. That's who I was when I came in here. But I found that when I talk to this power that I don't believe in, it still works. God, can you help me not eat compulsively today? Can you help these meals be enough? Can you help me be enough? Because it's not about the meals. It's when I don't think I'm enough, that's when I eat more. I have a disease of more because I think less about myself. So I try to get all around me to fill my, my holes, which I really need to be filled from the inside out. Power, can you fill my holes? You know, Can you make me feel like I'm enough? And... Um, in step three, for me, like I've heard all different things, self-will versus God's will, fear versus love. We only have two emotions, fear and love. But for me, it's like I have to make a decision to have this relationship that I've built in step two be the most important thing in my life. And anything that I put before this relationship gets taken away. And... Um, a lot of things have had to get taken away in the last seven years. I don't Facebook. I don't eat compulsively. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't drink. Like, I live a life that I think this power wants me to live. And it is an amazing life. And, um, you know, step four and five, I thought everybody else was the problem. I'm a compulsive overeater because I had bad parents. You know, and I get to see my part in step four and five, which gives me freedom from my past. Oh my God, I was holding on to my abusive father for 20 years when I came in here. How many more years am I not going to talk to him? How many more years am I not going to have a forgiving thought? Like, how many more years am I going to repeat this pattern and cut everybody out of my life who hurts me? And I've learned that that's my part. In step four and five, yeah, I had parents who did bad things, but my part is like, if you hurt me, I'm the king, and it's off with your head, out of the kingdom, I never want to talk to you again. And I did that with people. 
it could be a small criticism and it's like, I never want to talk to you again. I don't forgive people. I don't know how to access forgiveness. And um, in steps six and seven, it's I start to pray. I see my part in steps four and five. And in six and seven, I start to pray my part to be changed. Um, you know, I just, I'm going through the steps again and I'm on step 10. And um, I made amends to Whole Foods because I eat from the salad bar. Like, I put in my box and I eat from the salad bar. Not like big meals, but like I'll bite and try it out and then put it in my salad bar. So I sent a $50 check to Whole Foods headquarters um, two weeks ago with like a really loving letter about, you know, this is my part. I have entitlement issues. And... um, I think, like, nobody, and if someone, if I look over and the next person over is eating, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy. Um, but when it, for me, I'm allowed because I'm the manager of Whole Foods. You know, so I made this, like, beautiful amends, and I feel clean again. And um, a week ago, I'm at Whole Foods, and I get a coffee, and I'm waiting on, like, a 30-person a express line just to get a cup of coffee paid for and my mind is like, you just leave with the coffee. Don't they know who you are? And I like walked out with the coffee. And in my mind, I rationalized that the amends I made two weeks ago, that's an umbrella amends. And it's going to fall under. Am I? Thank God I do a 10-step every night. My sponsor caught it. He's like, dude, you got to go back and make amends, which I do. I make prompt amends. And I, I, I can't eat clean if I live dirty. Um, I learned that here, too. And steps eight and nine, you know, the big one for me was my dad. I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years when I came in here. And my sponsor used to say, you know, you got to pray for him. And I spent months and months praying for my dad, praying for the willingness to pray for my dad, like doing it all. And um, one day I found myself on my knees, like, by the way, I'm a Jew. The fact that I get on my knees, like, all day long... (laughs) Is like it's amazing that I can do that, but I found myself on my knees, like praying for my dad. And then a couple months later, I found myself in New York, like meeting him face to face, making amends to him, saying, "I cut you out of my life for ten years, and that's a pattern I do in my relationships. I cut people out who hurt me. So how can I make it up to you?" I didn't mention what he did wrong. I didn't bring up the past. I looked at my part, and I got free from it. And um, he said, well, I'd like to start having a relationship with you. And um, so we started having this superficial phone relationship. And um, a couple months after that, he's like, I'd love for you to come back and spend a weekend with me. And the court took custody away from my dad. And like after that, I never spent a weekend with him. And I'm clear enough to hear the answer today. Like, I have an intuitive guidance today that tells me if I should do something or not. That's because I'm abstinent. I have that. And I heard, go. Like, you got to go. You got to go see your dad. And I flew back to New York, and it was the worst weekend of my life. And I'm like, but I heard the voice that said, go. What, what am I doing here? Like, God, why did you tell me to go? And I'm here, and I'm miserable. And on the, second, on the second to last day, my dad said, do you want to go to a meeting? And we end up going to this meeting in Westchester, New York, and my dad 
at the end raises his hand and he says, my name's Lou and I'm a compulsive overeater and I've been in denial my whole life. And um, I was like, oh, that's why I'm here. It's not about me. It's not about what am I getting out of this. It's about what can I give? How can I show up for another person today? And my dad was like getting hugs at the end of the meeting and like exchanging numbers. And he took me to the airport the next day and he said, I think I'm going to start going to those meetings. And that's like a higher power working in my life for me today. You know, to be, it's one thing to be freed from the food obsession, which I am. I would say 98% of the time, I eat clean. I eat almost the same thing every day, eat three meals a day. But the food doesn't call to me. Like newcomers, they're shocked. It's like it gets released. That obsession gets released. I can have donuts in my car. I can bring it to other people. I can cook for other people. Like the obsession to eat the foods that were killing me, I don't have it anymore. But this program is so much more about getting freedom from everything else, getting freedom from the hatred that I had towards my dad. You know, what an amazing thing that I can do that today. And um, steps 10, 11, and 12 for me, it's like I still have a mind that when I wake up in the morning, it wants to narrate my life, and it wants to tell me lies. And, um, you know, I'm, I have a girlfriend who's, thank God, I don't know if it's thank God, but she's also in program, so we speak the same language. So our, our arguments are sitting on a couch like, how did you feel about that? <laughs> you know, which is good, but I don't know. I mean, it's amazing. It's like beyond my wildest dreams that I'm, you know, that I'm able to stay in a relationship that long. But last night we had like our biggest argument that we've ever had. And she brought to me things that I, how I've been showing up. Um, you know, she's, been, she's had a lot of deaths in her family recently, and, like, I have had my own stuff, and I have been pushing her away and pushing her away. And um, she brought all this stuff to me, and I'm, like, defending myself and defending myself. And then I just started crying. Um, and I haven't cried in 15 years. I've never cried in front of another person. I stopped crying when I was seven when my mom told me to be the man of the house, like, I am not a crier, and I'm crying in front of another human being. And I said, like, I'm just so used to being alone. Like, I didn't... I'm really new at, like, this forming this true partnership with another human being, but I'm really trying to do my best, and I'm hearing you. But I have to promptly admit when I'm wrong. And she says, like the most beautiful thing about you is how quick you are to admit when you're wrong. And that's true. And I was never like that because I cut people out of my life before I ever had a chance to say I'm sorry. And, um, you know, the 12th step for me is, like, I am a dedicated man of Overeaters Anonymous. I help other people. Um, I sponsor other people. Accidentally, I put my phone number out on one of the podcasts, so I take calls from, like, Nova Scotia on my way over here. I had a sponsee in Germany um, who we would Skype, and then she flew. She was, like, a 70-year-old woman. She flew, to, and I'd never, like, met her before, and she flew to New York, or she flew to L.A., 
And um, she said, my dream is just to come to the light a candle meeting, as if it was like Disney World. And we got to meet <laughs> and light a candle, and she like knitted me a heart. And um, I have like true relationships with other people today. I really have love in my heart today. And um, this program has this program is my rock. I still am in meetings all the time. I have service commitments. But it's not about that. Like, that's practice, I've learned. Like, this is really about practicing the principles in all my affairs. How am I showing up for another person when I've had a bad day? How am I talking to the person at Trader Joe's who, like, is whatever, who's not checking me out fast enough? Like, how do I practice these principles in all my affairs? How do I live a good life? How do I be a good person? And... Um, I can honestly say, like, I have morality today. Like, I'm an honest, loyal man. And, like, Overeaters Anonymous has given me that. And I have friends who are like, why are you still going to those meetings all the time? And, like, this is my toolbox. This is where I learned how to be the man of the house now, you know? I never knew. I never knew what I was doing until I got here. Um, I owe my whole life to this program. I really do. I've been all around the world, you know, at meetings. Wherever I go, the first thing I do is I go to an OA meeting, and I try to be of service. And also, wherever I go, anywhere in the world, I bring my breakfast. Um, because my program has to travel, too. And... I have love in my heart today. And, you know, my mind's like, that's so stupid. What a stupid thing to say from the podium. But, like, what did I, why am I here? Like, what am I do? why do I go to meetings seven years in? The food isn't, like, a huge problem anymore. Like, what am I doing here? And it's like, I want to feel connected. And OA has given me my family. It's given me my love. It's given me my connection. And um, I'll end with this. My sister just got engaged. That's my time anyway. I'll end real quick. My sister just got engaged, and um, the whole family was in New York for this engagement party, and I found out about it on you know, somebody else's Facebook who told me that your sister got engaged. Why weren't you there? I was like, I wasn't invited. A couple of weeks after, my best friend from program got engaged, and I was able to show up. And she was so happy that I was there. And it's like, oh, I give up the family that I've been wanting to like get the family that I need. And um, I'm just so grateful. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, David. I want to see, I want to see him when I talk to him. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so now we have another speaker. Um, so I'm delighted to introduce another spe- another speaker from Southern California. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet Holly at the 2014 convention. She was up here in Burlingame, and at that time I was uh, sort of keeping my 
uh, antenna out for speakers because I love to invite speakers up, even though I didn't know I was going to be doing this convention. And so Holly was on my list. And when I was lucky enough to uh, take this position of being your speaker getter, I, I knew I wanted Holly here. So let's, in, let's have Holly. Hi, I'm Holly, Compulsive Overeater. Hi, everyone. Um, I want to thank Nancy and the committee for asking me to come and speak today. Um, it's a great honor for me to speak to a, a meeting of five people or a convention. It's a great honor. I cannot believe I'm standing up here talking to you about what happened in my life. That it doesn't make any sense to me, really. But then um, neither does what, neither does to, you know, today versus 13 and a half years ago either. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Um, to qualify, I've got 13 and a half years of abstinence. I um, spent my whole life somewhere, be adult life, let's say, somewhere between 240 and 280 pounds. Um, I would, my top weight that I know of was 280 pounds, and that's exactly twice of what I am now. So I'm, I, I sit right at about 140, and that seems to be a very comfortable, healthy weight for me. So it was, I walked around with two of me, okay? And um, i diet my way down to 240, and I'd go right back up to 280. This, is, this went on for years. I came into program this time. I was 46 years old, so it went on from adulthood to 46. Um, I'll tell you how I, how I got here, but first I want to... Um, uh, tell you just a little bit about um, about my abstinence. Uh, my abstinence is the most important thing to me without exception. And uh, my abstinence is three meals a day and no sugar. It's been that way the whole time. And I, my abstinence is like um, sobriety is to an alcoholic. That's how much, that's how important it is to me. And I know that I have a life today. I have my life today because I'm abstinent. I have feelings today. I have um, a great life full of relationships today because I'm abstinent. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Um, and that I had to, I had to change completely from how I was until I, to, to even start feeling that. And you know, my my changes in program and in. Of course, it starts out, for me, it started out with the food. My changes have been incremental and um, slow and suggestions and every little thing, you know, gets changed. And it, but it didn't all change at once. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background. Is there any newcomers? Are there newcomers here? Anybody new? Um, if you're if you're new or if you're struggling, I I hope that you're completely desperate and out of ideas, because that is that's how I came in this time. Um, I grew up back east in a small town, and um, I I did m my family was one of the first families that actually split up. We it didn't happen back then. I'm I'm 59 years old, so if you can think about that that time. Um, I'm passing my pictures around, and you'll see when I was young, in my class, I was there was only two two people that were there was only two kids that were overweight in the class, and it was me and this guy named Joe, um, and that's how I grew up. I was in a small town, and and 
everybody was pretty much normal weight, but I was always, I was, you know, twice their size. Um, and my parents split up. That just didn't happen. You know, that was the first time, first I've ever heard about that. And, and it's just one more thing, one more bullet in that gun that made me feel like I was different. Um, I realized when I, and I, and, you know, I went to college, I came back home, and I worked in my father's diner. That's what I did. He taught me how to cook, and I worked in his diner. And um, in that time, I realized I was gay. Um, and that's another, that, it, this is a small town I'm sitting in, in a diner, okay? Can you get, <laughs> get the picture here, people? Um, I, different, I was different. It just, it just shut me down, put another bullet in that gun, just jam it down in. And I was eating. Of course, I ate. All right, I ate because I was racked with anxiety. My chest was hot most of the time, racked with anxiety and fear. Um, and I ate. And I could I could move around the world if I ate it, with the anxiety and fear. Um, I was completely quiet. I didn't really talk to anybody. I was. Um, Devoid of feelings. I really, I, did, I really didn't feel. I just ate. So what happened was, what brought me into program is that, uh, oh, and also my mom was mentally ill, and um, I was left with her. My dad went, left, and uh, they left me with, and he got married again, but they left me with my mom. So I spent about eight years with her, severely schizophrenic. Um, so there was nobody watching the store there. <laughs> okay, I, just, I went to school. I got dressed. I went to school. Um, and I still ate. I stole what I needed. We didn't have any money. There was no money in that house, and I was still fat. That's the truth. I just whatever I couldn't get, I stole. Um, so, what changed? Well, I I know that in my life, the the way I got to standing here in front of you um, started from there. I know that God picked me up and put me where I was supposed to be at any given moment. Um, I did get to college. I don't know how I did that. I was a good manipulator, but I did go. I went to four years of college. Then I worked with my dad. Um, but then I came out to California. Uh, it wasn't on a whim, but it was like, I, I got to get out of here. I have to get out of this town. I'm dying. I was dying. I was only hanging out with my family. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself, and I was eating. So I, I came out to California. I knew one person, and I started to build a life out here. Um, I had to change my profession. I wasn't. Um, I couldn't even get a cook's job out here, but I did. And, and God gave me this job that I got to. It's my profession now. I mean, this is what I'm. I walked into it. Um, I came out and uh, out here, and um, I got into my first relationship. Uh, maybe five years after I came out here. And it was with a drug addict, and I, that's, that's a bad idea, okay? <laughs> bad idea. Um, but you know what? I'm going to tell you, that's the first person that paid any attention to me. So I had to be, I came out here, this is about 35 years old. Somebody started to pay attention to me. I didn't care. I didn't even care, okay? So I got into this really bad relationship. But what it did do was... Um, very quickly, I felt crazy. I mean, I felt crazy. If, I don't know how I felt crazy when I didn't, wasn't feeling, but that did it. 
So um, I got into the other program right away. I thank God for people that like I ran into, but I got into the other program. And the good part about that was is I started hang, hanging out with a very, very cool, nice group of women um, who were very like-minded. They were, they were single pe- they were single women, they were women in couples, and I, got to, I started talking. So we're talking about I was about 38 years old, and I'm talking now. That's how long it took. So I started talking and hanging out with these cool people that were treating me really nicely. And I was in this relationship. They loved me until I was ready to get out of it. But here's, here's what it was. That's where I met people that were in OA, because I knew nothing about this. So I met some women that were in OA, and I just went right along with them. You know, I'm like, I'm going. I'm going with you guys. But I wasn't ready, because I stayed about two years. Um, and I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't do the work, but I did go to meetings, and my abstinence is the same as it is now. I, was, I would eat all the time, okay? So I knew it had to be three meals, three meals and no sugar. I knew that. In my heart, I knew that. So that's the first thing. Um, but what happened was I got into a really good relationship then. I was available. So I got into a good relationship, um, and my partner and I, moved in together eventually. We were both in program, and it was, it was going pretty good, and we opened up a catering company out of our house, okay? That's all bad idea. <laughs> no. But we did it. You know, the first time you buy a house, and, it, you know, there's no money around, so we started it, and we were very good at it, obviously. So um, I did, so I, I walked right back out of program. Like, I, I had no anchor. I wasn't working the steps. I wasn't calling a sponsor. I walked right back out, and I had to be out for eight more years doing this catering company and working full-time, too. So, see, I have no boundaries. Like, I, I worked my butt off during that time. Um, but what, what, what's important is what brought me in this time. In August of 2002, I think we stopped the catering maybe in June, let's say. Like, we're done. It's too much. We're done. Um, probably in June. That period, I don't know what happened. I can't tell you exactly what happened to get me from June to August and how I felt inside. It had nothing to do with the weight and the food. I was still 240 to 280, just like this. Um, It had to do with whatever was motivating me, getting me going, the rest of it just died. I I felt literally dead. I had no feelings whatsoever. Um... I knew something was very, very wrong. And I thought, the thought came to me, which again is God, why don't you go back? Why don't you go back and actually do the work? If it doesn't work, you can leave again, but why don't you go back and actually do the work? I was, I was desperate and out of ideas. I, I, just didn't, I didn't know how to even look in the mirror to myself. I wasn't talking to anybody, much less even my partner, you know? So I made the decision I was going to go back to program um, and I did that, and I walked back in in August of 2002 to the... I, I'm from the San Fernando Valley, so we have a lot of meetings. We have a huge 100-pounders meeting, which isn't so huge anymore, but we did then. And I knew where to walk back into. And I did that, and I, I went into a Monday night meeting, which is one of my home meetings, and I was greeted by three beautiful young girls that were abstinent and beaming. Hi, come on in. And I and I and I just knew I was home. I had it's like I had the thought I I need to work this program. I need to do this work. I need to change. 
I can't, I can't go on one more day like this. I was hopeless. I felt hopeless inside. So I started to go to meetings. I went about a month, and I got a sponsor, um, 100-pounder sponsor, and I, I just did what she said. We started, we made a food plan. First, we made a food plan. I'm lying. I lie sometimes. First, we started <laughs> writing. She started me writing. Just She says, Here, get the big book. We're going to do this. I worked out of the AA literature first. Um, do this and do this and write this and call me at 6 every morning. Tell me what you're going to eat. It was that simple. And I could do that. That I could do. Um, we did. I worked with her for the up until through the fourth step, and we just did this writing. About a month in, she. I said. To, I realized how much I was eating because I was calling her every day, telling her, you know, and I was pretty honest with it. I don't know how, where that came from, but I was. I got to be pretty honest with my food, you know. And it, like I say, it got better as I went. Um, and uh, we created a food plan that, wor- that worked for me to start losing weight. I was 280 pounds. I just ate what she did. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> like, what do you eat? Tell me. And I just ate what she It was really simple. I just kept it really simple. Well, I, you know, little by little, I'm losing weight. I'm losing weight. It's coming off little by little. I'm letting go of things as I, as I could. You know, that stuff really, in the end, once I'm abstinent, it happens naturally. It's like if I'm honest with myself, I can tell you what I can't eat. I can tell you what bothers me, and it's little by little. So, um, of course, I'm, I'm going through the steps, and I'm calling her, and I'm doing the food, and I'm getting friends. She pulled me right into service, so now I'm in the middle of the herd. And she's, we're, we're hanging out together. We're doing all this. I'm, I'm you know, this is Coke Zero. Coke Zero, Okay. Then I do another one, Coke Zero, and I and I slugged down two Coke Zeros, and I was okay for a while. I wasn't eating, and I was working the steps, and I was drinking the coffee, drinking the coffee, and I you know put the coffee and put it in, and I open you know glug 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 with the half and half, and I put it down and I drink the coffee, right? Well, this got to be like putting down the food and doing all this stuff and making these changes, and my life is changing. I'm actually being able to talk to people. I'm making friends, and and then then the, then the cream had to go. I'm you know I got to go when I'm standing in Seven Eleven getting another coffee and wanting to drink those little cups. I'm just like, okay, cream's gone. The cream's gone. All right, and I'm going and I'm walking through and I'm walking through life and I'm getting a little bit better each day. Coke Zero had to go. Those things had to go. Now I'm getting to a food plan that I don't need. The importance of the food is getting is is from 99 percent. It's down to about 30, and I'm doing good, working the steps, and I'm getting to change inside. So I'm getting less anxious. So here's what happened. Um, how am I doing on time? This could be a long story. Okay. I'm kidding. It isn't really important though. So what happened? Why? What program? How did program pull me through this time in my life? My life had been pretty calm up till up till then. Seriously, never killed anybody. It was okay, you know. I was just going through. All right. So here's what happened. I was. I'm not going to go a lot into my relationship. But I was in a relationship with another compulsive overeater at that time. For a long time, we had a 15-year relationship. And um, 
I had made it, I'd been, had been feeling very uncomfortable, and I, what I learned to do is I learned to gather about five of the women in the program, the old-timers, and I said, listen, I got this problem. Um, I'm really not in love anymore. That's the truth. I'm feeling extremely uncomfortable. I'm, I, 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 I'm feeling like I don't know whether I should be in this relationship or not. So these five women took me through the steps just on that. We just work, we, before we did anything, we worked the steps on my relationship. And it was decided, yes, it was time to, to let that go. I got some outside help as well because I'm not going to make a decision without the program. That's not going to happen. I'm building a relationship all this time with God, and God's putting these people in my life that's going to help me, that's going to carry me through this. So a bunch of things happened after that. And, and here's the key. I stayed abstinent through all of it. I ended my relationship. Um, I had a, 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 in this time, I had to, of course, do the whole where you got to get the house ready and sell the house, and it was so complicated. Oh, my God. I walked through. Everybody's holding my hand. I walked through that with very, very little amends to make. I mean, I, I did things in the right way. Um, I got in a car accident. Somebody rear-ended me, and that, that kind of th- Anything that was happening at that time just threw me up in the air. Okay, all right, got to deal with this car accident. I moved in with somebody, uh, rented a room for a while because I didn't find a place to live that quickly. So I did that. That was a gift from God. We helped each other. Me and this woman who we ran into each other at a convention, she needed somebody to move into a room. I needed a room with a garage. Bam, God, okay? That happened. Um, then my boss almost fired me. The boss I had been working for for about 10 years, um, he, gave me, he came in one day without any warning and gave me a letter with all the things he was not happy with. I, this was out of the blue. Um, I thought I was going to die. I, was so, I wanted to hurl myself out the window. I really did. And, you know, it, it's not that he was wrong about this stuff. I, my attention had been on all these other things happening. And it showed through him. So all this stuff happening, and I stayed abstinent. Um, What I had to do is completely then reorganize how I do my work. I had to get that, I had to clean that part of it up. So I reorganized, and I got some ideas, and I completely changed my work ethic with this man. Um, and thank God, because, you know, now he's 79, and now I'm going to his house and helping him. And my job has completely changed, and we have built a relationship on trust. And um, I know all his passwords. <laughs> Word of God. I know everything. And we've built this relationship since then. And that's program. That's absolute program. Um, so what I didn't want to talk about, and this happened, these... You know, I was going to tell you a story, but what what locked it in for me is that I went to these workshops here today, and I told the ladies that did the um, the body image workshop, I'm like, oh, they put so much in my head. It was such a good workshop. There were such good speakers. They put so much in my head that I wasn't expecting that now I have to talk about this other stuff that happened, okay? So I'm, because <laughs> now it's all up here. Um, so 
I have a sponsor today that's a lovely woman. She's very petite. I don't know why she takes my call. I really don't. She's just lovely. And we've built a relationship out of pure trust. I've never trusted somebody. I've, I've loved all my sponsors. I've probably had five sponsors. And they've all been in my life for a reason. Um, but I went, uh, when I let go of my last sponsor, we, it, we weren't jiving on the abstinence thing. In the, we weren't jiving on something. She helped me through a very bad period. And then it was one of those things where that was a relationship for a, a, a season. Done. But, and I took my time before I asked somebody else. I had so many people that loved me and programmed that I made a call every day. It was not like I didn't have a sponsor, but I, I, this woman kept rolling around in my head like, man, I really like her program. I'm going to ask her. And um, I finally did, and she's been my sponsor about five years. And she's the one. It's her fault that I, <laughs> I understand really that I'm love. That love is right here. It's not out here. God isn't out here for me. This is all for me. God is not a picture on the wall or rolling around in the, in the clouds. God is here. And she, it took that long for me to finally get that concept that I start the day, God's here, and I am love. And I, and I through just this daily calls and this daily work and this deep spiritual connection that I'm building... That's what I got. So, as I told you, I've been, I spent most of my life racked with anxiety. And, you know, once I got feeling better, and after this breakup, and I, was, I had some problems with living by myself for a while, it's really, this stuff surprises me. I don't know why, but it does. It's like I had trouble living by myself. I really had to get to know myself again. I was in this long-term relationship, and I really had to settle down and get to know myself. Um, so what I realized what was happening is that, um, you know, I'd always been a nail-biter. Not a nail-biter, but I, I, I pick at my cuticles a lot, and my, my, especially my thumbs. If I could, they don't look like that today, but you should have seen. For Probably they've been like that for 20 years. I, I'm not kidding you. They were horrible looking for 20 years, and they were just, they were like this, and it was awful. And I hid that for 20 years. And finally, I said, finally, you know, letting, like I say, slowly by surely, letting go of all this stuff, that came up, okay? This was probably a year and a half to two years ago. And, I, and I, one day I'm talking to my sponsor, and, you know, I, I'm able to tell her anything. And one day I'm talking to her, and I said, Shelly, I, I, my nails are horrible, and I'm feeling so much shame about him. I didn't even know that was going to come out. And she goes, you know, I, I, we talked about it for a minute. Like what the, and she goes, you know, I, do, I, I did that too. I went, oh, my God. This woman is, um, she looks like a model. And she's got the same thing, you know. And so, um, perfect, thank you. Is that a mistake? Are you sure? <laughs> No, I just like, oh my God. Um, so what happened was, of course, what am I going to do now? I've got this thing, and she said, number one, she told me God's the only, only God is going to help me stop doing this. I've done it for, it's been for 20 years, okay? Um, only God. That's the only way I can change any of this, any of this is with God, 
okay? I'm unable by my own power to change anything. I need God. And um, so we started working the steps again. We worked the steps just on my hands. That's how specific it got. And I'll tell you what came out in a minute, but it, you know, it got better and better. And what I did was I started getting a manicure, pedicure. And um, at her suggestion, I just looked at her. No. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And I went. I, I may say no every time, no, I'm not doing that. And I go, here's the, okay, come on. So I go, and I started to do that regularly. And that was the start of this, like, this whole thing that, that came up. So I worked the steps through, and they got better and better. And I really stopped. I really stopped. Um, I do it very seldom. Like, when I drove up here, I drove up here myself. Um, I haven't driven that far in a while, you know, by myself in a while. A little sadness came up because um, when I come to these conventions, my best friend always came with me, and she let me go this year, my best friend. And um, I, so I was feeling sadness that she's usually over here navigating with the phone and, you know, all this, and I'm driving. So, But she's, she's not my best friend anymore, um, and that was a little sadness. But I just a little bit, I got... I caught the edge of that a little bit, and I realized I was doing I said, okay, you're just a little nervous. Just keep going. Put a little lotion on. Like, I know what to do now. God help me. God help. That's the simplest prayer. God help me. And, I, and, and I'm fine. And I put a little lotion. I prayed a little bit. I stopped for a minute. Kept driving. And it stopped. That's, that's how good it is. Okay? That's how good my life is today. So... What else came out? So what, had come, what came out of those steps when I was working it on my It had nothing to do with my nails, although they look pretty good. <laughs> Manicure, pedicure, no polish, okay? They're like, no polish, no polish, okay? Look at me. Come on. Do, you, do I look like I'm going to put polish on, people? I'm wearing plaid, okay? I got plaid on. There's no polish happening. But anyway, I'm just kidding with you guys. Um, so anyway, what happened is, is the bo- some body image stuff came up. Like, under my, you know, I, I, I've lost 140 pounds. And it, it came off fairly quickly, okay? And I'd all, I wasn't up and down. I was the person that was always big. So it, I lost that, and it came off. And, and there's a lot of wreckage under these clothes, okay? Let's just say it. There's a lot of wreckage under these clothes, and um, I noticed too if I have a if I hurt myself and I have a scab I'm constantly like this. Well, it it it's all about body image. So I got to work on that a little bit. I wasn't super uncomfortable with it. I didn't even know it was there. But what I got to know is is my sponsor then got to teach me how to dress, so I don't feel uncomfortable with you know certain things you can put on. It kind of sucks everything together, and I felt so much better. You know, and that was important. I can't walk around, you know, and dress up for work and walk around feeling bad. That's what I don't want to do, okay? So I asked for help. I asked for help in shopping. Somebody usually comes with me, if I, especially if I buy work clothes. Um, I'll bring somebody with me because I don't know how to look. My, my image of myself, I'm still 280 pounds or something. I don't even know anymore, but... So I've learned to ask for help in this program, and that's how I got here. Is by it's not me. I didn't do any of this. I, I make a relation. I build a relationship with God through the steps, and I and I've 
and ask for help, and that's how I do it. Um, so, so that came out of just working the steps on my nails. So that's just one more thing that has that I've been able to let go of um, fairly gently. But it, you know, and I in this this um, the body image is is so huge for me. Um, I can, I'm pretty comfortable in my body today, and I walk through. And you know, most people that I know today didn't see me at 280 pounds. You know, in the beginning, when you lose a lot of weight, people are shoot attention at you. Oh my God, what do you do? Oh my God, tell me how you did it. And it, it was too much for me. You know, it was too much attention for me. But um, everybody knows now, and it's really cool. So thank you. Perfect. That's perfect. Um, anyway, what I want to what I want to especially tell you is um, what I do today. I think that's really important to tell you what I do today and how I show up today. Um, my routine is that uh, I get up very early in the morning, and because I've realized that my I can't my program worked won't get done if I try to if I think I'm going to do it at lunchtime or if I think I'm going to do it later. I found this out long ago. I just kept backing up that time until I could get everything done before I start taking my sponsee calls. So I um, get up early. I do whatever writing I'm doing, whether it's step or I meditation book, whatever it is. I do a meditation. I meditate every day. That's something. That's a gift. That's something that I've done for years, and I do all kinds of meditation. Um, it started out walking, walking like I, I started out walking when I was 280 pounds. I, I went around. Um, there's a lake near my house. It's called Balboa Lake, and it takes 23 minutes to walk around. But you know, when I was 280 pounds, and I decided I start, I better start exercising. I stood at that lake and I thought, I'm not going to make it all. I didn't think I was going to make it all the way around the first time. I really sincerely didn't. I thought, and I was planning what I was going to do when I got halfway and couldn't, and couldn't get the rest of the way around. So that's how out of touch I was with my body. But um, so I, I was doing uh, exercise every day and I would meditate. Now I do di- all, all kinds of meditations. Um, I take sponsee calls. That I think. For today, I've always done service. I've done a lot of service. I was chair of our inner group for a while. I was on the board a lot, and I've done that kind of service. But I also now, I think my service is sponsoring. And I came to that, realizing that I've let some of these other things lie a little bit, taken a break from them, and I've got a load of sponsees. I left all the swear words out. Um, and, and we're all doing good. You know that? I think my service for right now is sponsoring. Um, and, I, of course, I have a sponsor. Um, so I take all my – most of my sponsee calls come in. I have some people in different countries. Thank you. I have some <laughs> – I have some people like we do by email and stuff and Skype and stuff. But, but honestly, it's mostly women that are right near me. We see each other at meetings. They call every morning, and they do exactly what I do. They, they give me their food, they give me their writing, we go on our merry way, they call me if they need me, and then I send a 10-step at night. I type out a 10-step. It's kind of extensive because I kept adding to it. <laughs> now it takes me like half an hour. But um, I wanted to put gratitude on there. I wanted to put that I used all the tools. I, it's right out of the big book. It answer, I answer all the questions, and I let, and I also put challenges and strengths. 
So I realized I have very few resentments today. I have challenges and I have strengths. And I love telling my sponsor those things and getting them out. So I send a 10-step at night with my food for the next day. My food plan keeps me at this healthy body weight. It's all green, all green foods. Um, and, I, and I measure my food by calories to keep me here because what, I, what happened was when I lost that 140 pounds, I kept going. We didn't know why. I just did. I couldn't stop, and, and, it, and I got too skinny. But um, now I find out that this is what I need to eat to maintain this, and that's my sobriety. Is my food plan. It keeps me right here, and I'm really happy with that. So that's what I do every day, and I go to four meetings a week. Um, I mentioned I work another program, work at kind of light, another program, and I try to skip into an AA meeting, an open AA meeting when I can. Um, and that's, that's how I work my program. So I'm so, so grateful to be here. Um, my change has been completely, it, it says in the big book, I had to have an internal reorganization. I had internal, external, all around me reorganization from when I came in till now, and I'm so grateful and happy. Thank you.